0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. If you would take your Bibles and go ahead and open them to the book of Galatians. We're we're studying the church and mainly been taking it from the book of Acts, but today we're going to be in the book of Galatians chapter 5. So go ahead and be prepared as we'll read from there in, in just a few moments. If you haven't been in church for a while or maybe this is your first time, it's like you're kind of coming in at the end of the movie. And so let me try to catch you up with a quick review. We've been addressing the question, how did the church and how did the message of Jesus Christ survive the first century? Because do you remember that the leader died before day one of the church? Before the church was even launched? Uh, do you remember that there was horrible persecution? How did the, the message of Jesus... Survived the destruction of ancient Judaism in 70 AD when Rome destroyed the temple and the Jews had to scatter. How did the message make it out of the first century to the 21st century all the way to a place called Eldredge Springs, Missouri? Well, secular historians have tried to come up with an answer, but, but natural explanations fall short. But the real reason the church was able to survive is because it didn't launch as an institution. It didn't launch as a building. It didn't launch as a denomination. Rather, the church launched as a movement. A movement of people empowered by the Holy Spirit who flooded the streets of Jerusalem to say, you know... A couple of months ago, not 2,000 years ago, but just a couple of months ago, you crucified a man named Jesus, but he rose from the dead, and we are eyewitnesses to this. And even when their boldness brought on widespread persecution, instead of backing down, instead of dumbing down the message, instead of toning down the rhetoric, they aggressively and fearlessly proclaimed that Jesus is the Son of God, and he had resurrected from the dead. Well, then a strange thing happened. The number one persecutor, Saul of Tarsus, whom we now know as the Apostle Paul, was converted. And he began to travel all around the Mediterranean rim with this message. And, and he began to plant ecclesias, which that's the Greek word that we translate as church. But it really means more than just church. It, it means an assembly. It means a gathering. It means a movement. And so he began to plant these ecclesias all in this Mediterranean rim. And... Uh, Through these ecclesias, Roman citizens, Greek-speaking people, those with completely different racial and cultural backgrounds, began to embrace Jesus. Well, in 67 AD, Nero put Paul to death. But that didn't stop the message from spreading. And and now 2,000 years later, long after the Roman Empire ceased to be, long after Judaism ceased to be, long after the final sacrifice was made in that ancient temple... Here we are again, basically in the middle of nowhere, Cedar County, Missouri. But here we are worshiping Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Which brings us up to today. This is part six of our series entitled Doing Church God's Way. And, and we'll probably wrap up this series next week. But um, just kind of the final part of our, our review. Week number one, our lesson was on rethinking church. Week two, rethinking prayer. Week three rethinking boldness week four, rethinking the gospel week five rethinking our traditions and today it's on rethinking the need for church let's just bow our heads father you've really put this message heavy on my heart and lord i've asked several people to just cover me in prayer today because I don't have anything important to say, but I believe that your Holy Spirit does, your Word does. And and God, I really need your help today to just be able to present it as as I feel it and as you want it presented. Just give us uh, open hearts to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Got a bunch of questions that I've been mulling over this week. Questions such as, does the church really matter today? If the church were simply to just disappear, would, would it make any difference? Is, is the church just something like a placebo for weak people? Or is the church, a, you know, just a place to give employment for those people who can't make it in the business world and so they become pastors? That way they only had to work one day a week. I mean, seriously, is the church needed today? Well, of course, the the answer is yes. But the problem is that many Americans are not convinced of that. Uh, There there are several quotes that have gained a lot of traction over the past few years. and, And one of them goes like this. I am spiritual, but not religious. And, and, and then others will go on and say, well, I love God, but I just hate church. And, and so has church outlived its usefulness? Would it be just as effective for us to shut the doors of every church in America, every church in this community, and go into a mode of worshiping God privately, individually, in our own homes? Would there be a problem with that? Well, that's what we want to talk about today. And perhaps the best way for us to begin this lesson is to read a quote from a man by the name of David Aikman. Now, most of us are not familiar with that name, but David Aikman for many years was the bureau chief in Beijing for Time magazine. And he wrote a bunch of books, but while he was working for Time magazine, he interviewed people like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham... And while in Beijing, he had access to heads of departments in in the Chinese government. And, And in one of Aikman's interviews, a Chinese social scientist indoctrinated in Maoism made a statement to him that I want to read to you. It's a rather lengthy statement, but it's worth the read. It tells about the impact of Christianity on our culture. Here's what he said. One of the things we were asked to look into was what accounted for the success and preeminence of the West all over the world. In other words, China wanted to become a world power. And and so these social scientists, they were given the task of finding out what made the West so successful. Here's what he said. We studied everything we could from the historical, political, economic, and cultural perspective. At first, we thought it was because you, meaning America, we thought you had more powerful guns than we had. They thought that's what made America great. But as they kept studying, then they said, well, then we thought it was your political system. Next, we focused on your economic system. But this is a key statement I want you to listen to. He said, but in the past 20 years, we've realized that the heart of your culture is your religion. It's Christianity. That's why the West has been so powerful. And again, this is a statement made by a social scientist from communist China. Now, of course, many Americans don't think that way. They think you're in our country is great because of our economy. It's because we have more airplanes or smart bombs. You know, we're from sea to shining sea and we've got the oceans east and west that kind of form a natural barrier to protect us. But these social scientists in, in China were saying, we've discovered the secret secret of your greatness. It's the church. It's Christianity. Now, now, a lot of Americans today would say, whoa, wait a minute. Don't lump me in with these crazy Christians. And, and for crying out loud, don't credit Christianity for America's greatness. Well, these social scientists continued on. They, they said, the Christian, and, and this is probably... The, the, the most uh, impactful statement that they made, the Christian moral foundation of the social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then the successful transition to democratic policies, politics. We don't have any doubt about this. So. Let's make sure we understand what this social scientist was saying. He was saying that we've discovered it wasn't just capitalism that made America great, but he was saying that it was capitalism with a conscience. And that conscience was influenced by the teachings of the church of Jesus Christ. And so these social scientists concluded... Capitalism alone won't get us there. Bigger bombs won't get us there. A different political system won't get us there. The secret sauce of America's success is this amazing sense of right and wrong that comes from Christianity. Well, well, they continued on and, and they tried to analyze their own country. And they said, in looking at our own country in rural areas where traveling evangelists, and we would call them missionaries, but where traveling evangelists introduced Christian faith, opium addiction went down crime dropped, and Christian families grew wealthier than their counterparts. Now, this uh, comes from Philip Yancey's uh, book entitled, What Good is God? Now, now to me, this is absolutely amazing. These social scientists discovered what Americans have lost sight of. You know, we think that our view of morality and our view of right and wrong and and, and human rights you know just comes naturally to all people in all places. But these social scientists said no, they, they discovered that the church, based in, and and this is important, based on the teachings of God's word, actually matters. They discovered that the church makes a cultural difference and helps gives a conscience, conscience to a society and dignity to men, women, and children. So does the church matter? Of course. It not only helps people find eternal life; we know that. But please realize that it also changes cultures, it changes values, and it helps people to do what is not natural. Now, now let me explain that statement. That's a loaded statement, right there. You see, what is natural, or we'll call it nature, in and of itself, is not always good. You know, say, "Well, I need to get out and experience nature, or the natural, and I love nature. That's what we did in Colorado. That's why I love the mountains." But when you move beyond the surface beauty of nature, you find that oftentimes there is a violence in nature. And some of our guys, they were summoning the mountain, Mount Belford there, and the lightning was moving in. And and they saw the power and the thunder that would just kind of rattle them. You know, when you move beyond the surface beauty of nature, there's violence in nature. For example, nature is an earthquake that destroys the country of Haiti. Nature is a cyclone ripping through Bangladesh. Nature is a tornado ripping through Joplin. Nature is a cholera outbreak in Bolivia. Nature, or in the natural, or the natural is a couple of coyotes jumping on a newborn fawn and ripping it to death. In fact, this is further illustrated if you've ever had the opportunity to go to Africa on a safari. Uh, you won't be on the game preserve very long before you will see the ugly side of nature. Someone was telling about a safari they had taken in Kenya, and the safari vehicles drove to where they saw some vultures circling, and so they, they drove to that area, and they saw that some lions had taken down a Cape buffalo, which is, is pretty unusual. Lions normally don't attack animals this big and this ferocious, but but this pride of lions had taken down a Cape buffalo, and and they had gathered around it, and they were feasting on it. And and the safari group, they were about a hundred yards away, and, and sitting in the safety of their safari vehicle, they they just watched with their binoculars. And and they they said something very interesting began to develop. They they saw quietly these other animals begin to come in, and um, it, it was as if they knew their pecking order. They they knew where they were on the food chain, and and. Um, they all waited patiently for their turn. Um, the animals closest to the lions were the hyenas, those ugly hyenas. And, and they weren't far from the lions. I mean, it was almost like they had front row seating. But those hyenas knew that they were no match for the lions. And so they waited respectfully until the lions had finished. Well, a little farther away, uh, began to gather another group of animals, and, and, and this guy was telling about it, he said they were the jackals, you know, these little puppies that, that kind of look like foxes, and they were waiting their turn. And of course, the vultures were circling, but, but getting closer to the ground, and, and this person said it was absolutely amazing. After the lions had finished their meal, they just kind of walked off into the bush and, and just fell over on their backs and, and their feet up in the air. I mean, they were stuffed. Well, that was a signal because at that point, the hyenas moved in and they ate. They ate and ate until they were full. And, and after that, after they left, then came the jackals and, and they ate until they had their fill. And then it was the vultures turn. And the person that was telling about this said that never once in this scenario did the lions ever move over as if to say, Hey, Mr. Hyena or, or Mrs. Jackal or, or Mr. Vulture. Come on over. We'll move over. There's plenty for all of us. We're happy to share. No. Nature is all about first come, first serve. Nature or or the natural is that the biggest and the baddest go first. Nature is all about might that makes right. Now, here's my point. And this is going to be a little bit hard for us to take. Human nature is no different. And without the church that teaches the principles of Jesus Christ, here's what human nature looks like. Human nature is all about if I've got the money, I'm in charge, you do what I say, I'm better than you. That's human nature. Human nature is racism. You know, you're different. You look different. I'm better than you. Human nature is you hurt me. I'll get you back. Human nature is cheating. I mean, how many of you, the only reason you don't cheat on your income taxes or you don't cheat on a test or you don't speed is because you're afraid you might get caught. That's human nature. Left to our own devices, if we thought we could get away with it, we would do it. That's what comes natural to us. And the Apostle Paul specifically talks about this. And and to get to the heart of our lesson today, I I want to read some very revealing, convicting verses in Galatians 5. And, And in these verses, the Apostle Paul is going to contrast for us what nature looks like or what the natural looks like versus what it looks like when we allow, when people allow the Spirit of God to come in and change our lives. Here's what Paul says. You've got your Bibles open. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 reads like this. So I advise you to live according to your new life in the spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. In other words, um, our our sinful nature craves this kind of stuff that he's about to mention. Um, Skip down three verses. Verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Say the word obvious. One, two, three obvious here's what the word obvious means if you don't know what obvious means paul is about to show us the list of things that will come about because of our sinful nature and when we see these things they will be obvious none of us will say whoa you mean people really do this kind of stuff i've never heard of people doing this kind of stuff no these things will be obvious so here's the list the acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality that's obvious You know, every single one of us, we know somebody who has been sexually immoral and, and we kind of feel good about ourselves because we've never stooped to that level. But here's the truth that even if we've never maybe climbed in bed with someone that's not our spouse yet, we possibly have lusted or viewed images, which in essence has made us guilty of mental or emotional adultery. So so what Paul is saying is that immorality is the direction that nature takes us. And, and, And here's a statement I want you to catch. Our default morality is immorality. Did you catch that? Our default morality is immorality. So there's sexual immorality. And then it goes on and says impurity and debauchery. And all of these are three words are kind of in the same category. Debauchery, we don't use that much, but it basically just means whatever, whenever, with whomever. Takes uh, immorality to a new level. And um, let me just pause and say something to the men here. And, and women, you can talk amongst yourself or text somebody for a minute, minute or go to Pinterest or whatever you want to do, but just for a second... Men, uh, can you imagine, and I guess don't imagine too much here, uh, but can you imagine living in a world where you were rich enough or powerful enough to where you could control the laws, to where you couldn't get in trouble and there would be no consequences for your immorality? Can you imagine that kind of world? Did you know that in the first century there was a culture like that? It was called the Roman culture. But since then, there have been other cultures where kings and emperors and presidents and chiefs of tribes lived that way. And and the result is that many times that mentality and behavior destroyed these nations and cultures from the outside, from the inside out. But anyway, can you imagine what our community or our schools would look like if someone didn't put the brakes on that part of human nature? Well, let's continue on verse 20. Idolatry. Well, idolatry is essentially putting more value on something or someone over God. Witchcraft. Witchcraft is, is simply trying to harness the supernatural for your own selfish ends. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. By the way, this one's tough to see in the mirror. Jealousy. Can I, uh, can I get really blunt this morning? It won't be inappropriate, but let me just get blunt. Some of you ladies, you do not like skinny women. Now, you don't tell anybody that, and you hate the fact that you feel that way, but you don't like skinny women. By the same token, some of you guys don't like rich men. You see a guy with a super awesome car that you could never afford, and you don't like him. Or you don't like that guy that has awesome hair and a six-pack and a super personality. Kind of like your pastor. (laughs) I didn't think it was that funny. (laughs) And you know what? The truth is we're all guilty of jealousy in some aspect. That's right. Nod your head this way. It's natural that when people have something that you want or look away that you're never going to be able to look, it's natural to be jealous and even want to bring them down well it goes on and, and and by the way we could preach a full message on every one of these but it goes on and says fits of rage so when you slam the door to your car or your house you get in your car and you peel out it goes on and says selfish ambition dissensions you know creating division factions and envy drunkenness, orgies. And then it says, and the like. You know what that means? That means, et cetera. These and other similar behaviors are the natural, it's the default behavior of mankind. And because of the fact that we tend to slide over to our default mode, do you know what we got to do? Well, we got to make a bunch of laws. Because left to our own We will cheat, steal, take advantage of people. So we have to have laws to protect people. In fact, we need to face it. Laws are the reason some of us are as good as we are. If we thought we could get away with, and you could just kind of fill in the blank, many of us would do it in a heartbeat if we thought we could get by with it. Now I realize I've gone all around Robin Hood's barn, whatever that means, Chance. But but I've taken the scenic route To try to be able to answer this question, so is the church important? Is the church that has teachings based on the principles of Jesus Christ, is that church still needed in our society or have we outgrown the need for church? Well, the truth is that if our society has ever needed the values and input and teachings of the church, it's today. Because apart from the message of Jesus Christ, we would all default back to what is natural and become a society that, frankly, none of us would want to live in. Okay, so that's the natural side, the default mode of human nature. But Paul then says there's another side. I'm so glad that he gave us another side. And by the way, this is the good part of the message. (laughs) Because there in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit and, and, and catch it, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. And remember, the spirit is what energized the first century followers to go out into the streets and risk their lives and say that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And that same spirit, once he moves into our lives, he begins to have an influence on us. And it's the spirit that makes you think, oh, I don't think I should go there. It's the spirit that says, um, I don't think you should look at that. It's the spirit that says, um, I don't think you should click on it. It's the spirit that begins to train our conscience and empower us to live in a way that's not natural. You remember what's natural. That list, that's natural. That's the default mode. It's the spirit that empowers you to live a life. And are you ready for this? That even if there weren't any laws, you would still do the right thing. That's the spirit of God. That's not natural. Okay, listen to this list. But the fruit of the spirit is love and love is you first. Love is, well, I was actually here first, but you can have my seat. Love is, well, this is where I normally park my carcass here at church. This is my seat. But help yourself, I can move. And some of you would struggle with that one. Love is, um, I actually got to the checkout line first, but you can go first. Love is, I'm going to give to you even though you will never recipro- reciprocate back. Love is, I'm going to invite you over to my house even though I know you'll never invite me back. Love is, I'm going to treat you right even though you weren't very nice to me. And that, again, is not natural. For the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I'm telling you, when Paul wrote this, when Rome ruled the world, kindness probably wasn't even in their dictionary. It was might makes right. Goes on and talks about goodness and faithfulness. And by the way, faithfulness is, if I said it, I'll follow through. Faithfulness is, I sign my name to it. And even if the state of Missouri and, and even if the court can't force me to do it, I sign my name. I'm good for it. It goes on and says gentleness and self-control. You know, self-control runs contrary to everything nature urges us to do. In fact, think about this. Maybe we ought to just sponsor a self-control month here at the church. For one month, everybody in this church would exercise perfect self-control. You know, we probably uh, most of us would be skinnier. At least we'd be healthier. You husbands would be unbelievable. You wives, you would be amazing. Businesses on the Internet that are bad would go out of business for at least a month. uh, You know, that we have any control over. Uh, You know, if our culture just embraced this one virtue, this one value, what a difference it would make. So, again... Does the message of the church matter? Absolutely. Why? Because the church, based on the teachings of Jesus Christ, helps us change the default, the natural behavior of mankind. Well, then the Apostle Paul ends this dialogue with a brilliant, brilliant insight. I I, I know you've read the scripture before, but my hunch is that you've never stopped to think about it. Listen to how Paul finishes his list of what a person or a community looks like when it's controlled by the Spirit. Verse 23. Against such things there's no law. Have you ever thought about that? This is huge. And and by the way, if you've been counting ceiling tiles or counting lights or keeping track of how many times I've said, uh, or um, I I want you to listen to this. Paul is saying that when it comes to the natural deeds of the flesh, we have to have laws to control people's behavior. Because our default mode is to cheat, steal, do bad things. So we got to have laws. However, when an individual or a family or a community or a culture embraces God and is fueled by the Spirit of God, there's no need for laws to control these behaviors fueled by the Spirit. For example... You never hear somebody say, hey, you have too much patience. Don't make me come over there and beat that patience out of you. Yeah. You know, we need a law just so that people have t- don't have too much patience. No. You never hear somebody say, well, you got too much joy. We need to come up with some laws to lower your joy level. You, you never hear somebody say, well, you know the problem with your marriage is you've you got too much love. You know, we need some laws to counteract extreme amounts of love that you have in your heart towards your spouse. That's crazy. So do you understand how brilliant this statement is that Paul is making? He says that when a culture or an individual or a family embraces and allows the Spirit of God to transform their behavior, there's no need for laws. That's why great marriages, they have no rules. They just love each other. You know, great families, very few rules. Great companies, very few policies. Great churches don't have huge, thick policy manuals. If you find a church with a big book of bylaws, they're probably not a great church. Great churches are not influenced by policy manuals. They're influenced by the Spirit of God. And and here's the reason that I'm saying all of this as a people and as a country and Even though we've strayed far from where we used to be, yet those values that we still understand as right or wrong, they do not come naturally. The church, and this is the church down through the years that was based on the principles of God's word, that has helped instill those values in our society. Now, I want to say something that some of you will probably uh, initially disagree with me on, but, but hear me out. Not all religions and cultures are equal. All people are equal. But not all religions and cultures. And of course, today we're hearing, you know, all religions, all cultures I have equal value. But, but that's not true. And listen, listen to me why I say this. For example, to the first century Roman culture, we as a church would say, uh, we don't think a culture that treats women as property is a very good culture. Amen. Would you agree with me? And we as a church don't think that the culture of the Greeks, where the caste system kept people at a certain place economically that they could never move out, move out of, was good. I think we would say Amen. And and the church has never said, you know, we're better because of our race or our wealth or because God made us superior. No, no, no. The the ground at the foot of the cross is level. It's even. but, But cultures that have been influenced by the church and by the message of Jesus have certain values and standards that make their way of life superior. It's not that we're better. It's just that Jesus' way is better. You know, we believe our Christian and cultural values are better than a culture where a man can put his daughter to death because she dishonored the family. You know, as Christians, we say we forgive and reach out and love. We think our culture is superior to a culture that says little girls are of less value than little boys. And if you have a little girl, you can you can just set her on the steps of an orphanage or leave her out in the woods or in the street or in a dumpster and go have yourself a boy and there'll be no punishment. We as followers of Jesus, we're horrified. We say, we believe God created little boys and little girls equally. They have value in Christ's eyes. And something that I find interesting, in the cultures where little boys are valued over little girls, guess who's reaching out and fostering and adopting these little girls? They're Christians. You know, we think that our way of Looking at life as superior to a religion or a culture that says, don't help the poor because you might mess up their karma. You, know, you might mess up their experience in a future life. We say, no, we're not superior, but we have an opportunity to bring a better life now because of what Jesus taught and what the New Testament teaches. You know, it's the church that, that, that bases its principles on the Word of God that says everyone red and yellow, black and white, they were made and fashioned in the very image of God. They have dignity. They have value. It's the church that says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. It's the church based on the teachings of Jesus Christ that says forgive because you've been forgiven. It's the church of Jesus that says, serve because you've been served. It's the church of Jesus Christ that says, value those who society says have little value. It's the church of Jesus Christ that says, give even when nothing is coming back to you. It's the church that says, show mercy even to those who haven't shown you mercy. It's the church of Jesus Christ that says, love your enemies. And notice, it's not the church of Jesus Christ that says, kill the infidels or non-believers. The church of Jesus Christ says, Love them and pray for them. It's the church based on the principles of God's word that's been on the forefront to say to women, You know, abortion is not a solution. And the reason is not because we're against you, it's simply because that the unborn baby is not really your body, rather, it's a separate individual that has a soul. And so the church feels an obligation to speak up for those who have no voice to speak up for themselves. Yes, the church has been on the forefront to guard the sanctity of marriage and say it's one man, one woman until death separates them. It's not that we hate gay people, but God's design for marriage from the very beginning was that man and woman would become one. You might have read this past week the study from Princeton University, which one of the Ivy League schools, many of them used to be Bible colleges. and But now an article came out where Princeton University uh, allows you to choose from six different genders. I was a little bit confused, and I had somebody Google some stuff, and I, I was still confused. But, um, I mean, you can choose man, you can choose woman, and you can be trans, you can be cis, and... Uh, And you can actually choose male and female at the same time. And It's the church that has tried to stand up for what the Word of God has said. It's not that we hate these people. We love these people. But we love God's principles. We know what's right and what's wrong. So if the church disappears, more than likely the message will disappear as well. The church of Jesus Christ from the very first Ecclesias that the Apostle Paul planted in the Mediterranean Rim. They had a message that that have helped shape cultures and instill values and point people to eternal life. And the, the Apostle Paul says it's the power of the gospel that has the power to transform lives, communities, nations, and even the entire world. It's the power of the gospel. And it's a message that the social scientist told the bureau chief for Time magazine. That's what we're missing. The secret sauce is the church. The secret sauce is the teaching and the values of Jesus Christ. So again, does our message matter? Does the church matter? Of course it matters. Absolutely it matters. And, And should that message disappear from our culture, it will leave us in a place where we will eventually begin to treat people like they're nothing more than property. You know, one of my heroes was Adrian Rogers, and um, he was a he was a pastor in in Memphis for many, many years, and he died in 2005. And I've heard him speak, and he had a he, he had a big, deep voice, kind of the voice that every preacher wishes he had. And he tells a story that I think is a perfect ending for our time together today. He said he was on a plane leaving Memphis. And after they were airborne, he reached uh, down and picked up his Bible and he put his tray table down and he just placed his Bible there and just started reading it. Didn't say anything, no fanfare. But he said that uh, after just a few moments, uh, the man next to him who was reading a magazine and he put his magazine down and said, uh, Sir, could, could I ask you a question? I know it's none of my business, but could I ask it anyway? He said, why are you reading your Bible? And Adrian said it was one of those moments where as a Christian, you realize you've got a soundbite. You know, sometimes, sometimes you can actually... Come up with a 15-minute answer, a 30-minute answer, but he said, I realized it was one of those times I times I had a sound bite. I had to make a count, just a phrase, just a statement. And so he said, Oh God, what do I say? And he answered him and he said, Sir, I've discovered that in this book are the solutions for three things that plague mankind. I've found that in this book is the solution to sin, sorrow, and death. And that from those three things all of our problems stem. And the guy said, oh, okay. He picked up his magazine and started reading again. And Adrian Rogers continued to read his Bible. And he said, quite a while went by. And the gentleman put his magazine down. And he said, okay, I'll just be honest with you. I've been sitting here this whole time trying to think of something that doesn't fall into the category of sin, sorrow, and death. I can't think of it. So, sir, would you tell me more about your Bible?'" So does what we do as a church matter? Is what we're doing as a local congregation, does it matter? Is the church still necessary? Well, I believe if there ever were a time when the church needed to ramp up and amp up its message of Jesus and be engaged spiritually and be engaged socially and live out these values and culture, it's now, it's today, it's this moment. So as your pastor in a day and age in which the church of Jesus is under severe attack and and in a day and age in which the church of Jesus Christ is being given less and less importance in a day and age in which you if you attend church Sunday morning Sunday evening, Wednesday evening you're considered to be some kind of radical religious freak in a day in which the phrase church doesn't save you or I'm spiritual is but not religious or i love god but i hate church or or i can serve god and be just as spiritual without going to church when we hear those things all the time could i remind you that your parents values and your values were shaped and formed by the teachings of the church of jesus christ based on god's word And if you know Jesus today, even if you did not come to know Jesus inside the walls of a church, you more than likely came to Christ because of the influence of the church. And no, the church is not perfect. And yes, the church has strayed far from God's original plan. But the voice of the church of Jesus is still needed today. How again did did the message of Jesus make it out of the first century all the way up to today? Through the church of Jesus Christ. And what gets me is the future values of your children. The future values of your grandchildren and your great grandchildren will more than likely be formed by the values that will be taught by the church of Jesus Christ. So let's make sure as a church we're Bible based. Let's make sure as a church we're spirit led. Let's make sure as a church that we don't allow our society to to receive its values from the default nature of humanity. Rather let's be a society that receives its values from the spirit through the teachings of the church of Jesus Christ based on the word of God. know i've tried to figure out how to close this service and i think i'm just going to pray i'm just going to pray that the holy spirit would penetrate us with this word today father i want to thank you for the little ecclesias that the apostle paul started back a couple thousand years ago little gatherings little assemblies Lord, they were passed down. And yes, the church has been through difficult stuff. Where it got so far off track. But Lord, I believe it's because of those ecclesias that that handed down the truth of Jesus Christ. I believe that's why I know Jesus today. Lord, I believe it's the teaching of the church of Jesus Christ. God, we're not perfect. We've got faults, failures, and flaws. But Father, I just want to thank You that You've allowed us to know Jesus. And I pray that we would continue, Lord, as a church, to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. We know church doesn't save us. Lord, we know that we can be in the privacy of our home and make it to heaven. But Father, I fear that if we go back and if we dumb down the church and tone down the rhetoric and and basically just go into the privacy of our homes there's no accountability and Lord we begin to do what is right in our own eyes and, and there's no checks and balances and so therefore we read scripture and without the body of Christ bringing a sense of balance Lord we go off many times on tangents and so Lord we know that religion has made a mess out of things and that's why it's so easy to say, I love God, but I hate church. Lord, we know that it's so easy to say, you know, I'm spiritual, but i just not religious. And Lord, we understand all of these statements, but I pray that we would not fall for the trap and the lie that Satan is trying to put into into our hearts and minds. But Lord, we would stand up for the church of Jesus Christ based on the principles of God's word. And Lord, just a church in itself doesn't mean anything, but it's got to be a church that is spirit-filled, spirit-led and based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would just allow you to build your church and all of God's people again said, Amen. Amen. Go be the church of Jesus Christ. You're dismissed.